Well, good morning. <clears throat> In 1966, ah, I remember it well. <laughs> and not as well as I used to remember it, I have to say, but I went on a journey with five friends. <clears throat> now, I want you to help me out here by encouraging me at several places during this sermon because I'm going to, you know, give you an account of this whole adventure. So the way you'll encourage me is you can say, you can do this. <laughs> okay? Can I hear a little encouragement? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That gets me through the sermon right there. All right. So <clears throat> I went on this journey with five friends. And uh, one of my friends, Tom, had this cabin in the Smokies. And uh, his parents had prepared that cabin so that we could spend Saturday night and Sunday in just relaxing. And uh, <clears throat> the problem was, you know, it was 100 yards away from the woods. I mean, away from the, uh, the road. So it's just barely off the road. That would be too easy. And so we planned that we would hike eight miles through the Smokies in order to get to this cabin that was a hundred yards off of <laughs> the woods. So at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning, my buds and I bounded off from Cades Cove on this eight-mile track through the mountains. Estimated time of arrival, one o'clock. We knew that we had to hike up and down several mountains in order to get there, but hey, I was 20 years old, and I'm a guy. You know, we can, yeah, I can do this, right, yeah, easy, no problem. All right, so we walked, and we drank water, and we ate our snacks, and we complained about the heat, and we walked some more, and we talked, and we told stories, and we pondered the mysteries of the female mind. <laughs> that took us a long time <laughs> and didn't arrive at any, you know, really good solutions on that one either. <laughs> we, uh, we shared... We shared personal memories. We laughed. It was a great hike. Tom was very confident in leading us. He strode out. He looked like a leader, you know. One o'clock, our estimated time of arrival came, and one o'clock went. And then about 2.30, uh, <clears throat> I was starting to get panicked internally. My foot was blistered. I was tired. I was kind of griping in my own mind. Uh, you know, and we, so we stopped, and we kind of circled up for a discussion. And then Tom, leader of men, said, well, I, 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 I think we're temporarily misplaced. <laughs> He said, uh, we must have come to some kind of fork in the road back there. And, you know, we took the, the wide way. 
we didn't take the narrow way that we should have taken it. You might be thinking there's some kind of spiritual lesson involved in, in this right here. Anyway, uh, I tell you, uh, as this part of the journey was basically the pit of the journey. It was the <coughs> the pit of despair. <coughs> Excuse me, the pit of despair. Don't even think about trying to escape. So I didn't know if I could carry on. I needed encouragement. All right, okay, I can go on. I was just singing, you know. This is Tennessee, right, and I was singing. I want to go home. I want to go home. Well, anyway, my best friend John, though, uh, dissuaded me from uh, launching out on my own to go home because he reminded me that we were in the Smoky Mountains and there were lions and tigers and bears, oh my, in the Smokies, well, at least a bear or two in the Smokies. And so we pressed on. We persevered. So we kept putting one foot in front of the other. About 6 o'clock and 18 miles later, <laughs> we finally hit a road. And, you know, first thing I saw was there was a road crew that was picking up their little cones and, you know, ready to go home. And so Tom ran over and consulted the road crew, and I saw the leader of the road crew point off into the distance. And, you know, there, there wasn't anything to be seen off in the distance except trees and rocks and a stream to cross and brambles and briars. And, oh, yeah, there was one little cabin off in the distance. And there wasn't a trail to get there. So we, you know, girded up our loins and we started hiking down through uh, the brambles and the, and the uh, underbrush. Now, I'm, I'm just going to stop this story right here because obviously we got to that cabin or I wouldn't be here. I'd still be roaming around in the Smokies. <laughs> so... <clears throat> We had bloody hands, we had sore knees, we were just a mess. So, <clears throat> but it was a great experience. It was fantastic. I'm still talking about it even today <laughs> with great, you know, passion, I might add. <clears throat> and it wasn't a great experience because we loved the Smokies, which we did. It wasn't a great experience because of all the endorphins from the pain that we endured, although that was part of it. It wasn't a great experience because of the joy of surviving this hike or the relief of reaching our destination and enjoying the place where Tom's parents had prepared for us ahead of time so that we could be in, in pleasure. But it was a great experience because we had journeyed together to get there. We knew each other better because of the hardships that we had gone through together. We all had our different experiences 
you know, I had my sore feet, but other people had knees that were bum and ankles that were troubling. But <clears throat> there were our red badges of courage. But we were an intimate band of brothers. We were banded together. So today's sermon is really about Christian formation, which is being formed into being more like Christ. So <clears throat> we've had four deep dives here at Christ Press over the last four years or so, uh, one in love, one in forgiveness, one in humility, and this year in gratitude. And all of those are about Christian formation. And so I, I thought it might be good for us to think a little bit about what Christian, Christian formation is all about. So what is Christian formation for? Well, <clears throat> Christian formation, to put it really simply, is about being able to be in a deeper relationship with the triune God. That's kind of the bottom line. Our feelings at times get placed in opposition to reality of Christ's work. So sometimes that's important to make that distinction that we can be saved even though we don't feel saved. Okay? So but but a relationship is a two-way thing if we're trying to make this relationship better I know that I'm truly loved by Jesus Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so but it's not just the Bible that tells me so you all tell me so you know things that happen inside me tell me so the Spirit of God witnesses to me so we, we know that Jesus loves us through the body of Christ, through the scripture, through all kinds of internal witnesses. And yet, it's also important that I love Jesus. Because if you have a love relationship that doesn't have feeling that is involved in it, well, it's probably not an, a, a, a maximum love relationship. And so it matters not only that I know that Jesus loves me, but that I love Jesus and that I feel that love of Jesus. Well, Christian relationship is... A Christian formation is what I do and what God does to shape me into the likeness of Christ. Those actions nurture my love for Christ and my love for those whom Christ loves. My love for the Lord contributes to my trying to build a Christ-like character and choose situations that support that Christ-like character. Loving Jesus isn't just a matter of willpower, right? It's just not making by will our feelings conform to what we know we should be doing. We know that the triune God is doing 
God's part to nurture that love within us. We're not on our own here trying to wamp up feelings of love for God. So when I think of my spiritually formative years back before 1966, which was a long time ago, uh, I, I can't help but remember my mother. So she just would be pittering around the house, washing dishes, cleaning, doing whatever she did. And she would be singing. She would be singing these old hymns. I mean, really old hymns. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. This is my mom singing. She sang about like I do, which should never be heard in public, actually. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, it had a big impact on me. My mom wanted a closer walk with Jesus, and hearing her, I wanted a closer walk with Jesus, too. I'm going to give you some suggestions from three different sources about forming Christian character and uh, that, he, that help us keep a better relationship with the Lord. First, biblical theology. Second, Christian psychology. And third, philosophical theology. So when I wrote this sermon up about a month ago, I realized in trying to give it the first time that uh, I did not have a sermon here. I had a seminary course. It took over an hour for me to read through it silently, which means <laughs> this was going to be a, I've cut it down. I've cut it down since then. I've cut it down. So I just want to assure you so everybody doesn't leave right now. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I was afraid that people would be listening, and in the middle they would nod off to sleep, you know, and fall out of the chairs and hurt themselves. So I, so I prepared a handout for you, which is what I hope you have right now, and we'll try to make available online for uh, people to get if they wish to have it, uh, so that I don't have to give you 194 Bible verses Okay, that you have those, and you can take them home, and you can climb into bed where, if you fall asleep, you won't hurt yourself, and you can, you can read those. Okay, so what does biblical theology teach us about Christian formation? So biblical theology is trying to interpret Bible verses theologically, as opposed to things that are more systematic uh, in, in theology. So, uh, first, 
we are to become more like Christ. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Romans 12, 2 says that we are to have a renewed mind. So we're to become more like Christ. Second, the end point of Christian formation is not really the real goal here. It might seem that biblical theology is telling us that our end goal is to be more like Christ. But Christ-likeness really is not the end point. The end point is intimacy with the triune God. And being like Christ is a way that we further that uh, pursuit of intimacy. So being formed into Christ's likeness is a means to the end, and we need to make sure we don't lose sight of that. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, why are we created to glorify God and enjoy him forever? So we need to keep in mind the real end point. And to help us remember that, uh, a brief story, you know, is that there were two workers. And they were working on uh, a project that has been going on for well over 100 years. And this is a, uh, a, a, a cathedral that is in Barcelona. And it's called La Sagrada Familia. And uh, it has been built in four different waves as through the years, different kind of philosophies have been put into effect. But there are two workers that were working on it, and they were asked, what are you doing here? And one worker says, I'm digging a ditch. And the other says, I'm building a cathedral. That's what we want to be doing. We want to keep in mind that we are building a cathedral. We are, our mission is to have a more loving relationship with the Lord and not just to better ourselves, to be more virtuous, to be more Christ-like even. That's, those are good, but they are not the end point. So exerting an effort to become more Christ, uh, like Christ is not works righteousness. We're not earning our way into Christ's love. We know that Christ loves us, and that love is secure, and we are trying to just honor Christ by what we do. It's like, you know, my relationship with, with Kirby is a love relationship is as secure as we can be as humans uh, and I want to be a better husband for her so I want to be a better person I'm not earning my way into her love I'm trying to do something out of love for her so the Bible tells us well you know I've mentioned two things that uh, God uh, that that uh, we are to become more like Christ, and that we are our endpoint is a forever love relationship with Christ. So the third thing is that the Bible tells us uh, about what we should do is uh, that it 
gives us a lot more information telling us what we should do than how we should do it. So, you know, how do I become more Christ-like? Well, John Coe is a, a uh, guy I know from Biola University. He's director of the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Talbot School of Theology, and he writes this. He says, a pastor once confided to me, I know how to preach, teach, and administrate a church, but when people tell me their spiritual problems, that they don't pray enough, or that they struggle with anger or worry, and I quote to them the Bible, that they should pray more, they should put off anger and not worry, they should respond, uh, they often respond, I know that, Pastor. So what's wrong with me that I can't do this? The truth is, I, says John Coe, I don't know what to say or what to do from there. Those of us who preach would love to see transformation just by speaking the word. Pray more, love God, put off anger, and poof, it's done, but says John Coe, that's a fantasy. Scripture tells us what to do, but it often doesn't tell us how to do it. So the fourth uh, thing from biblical theology is practical theologians have told us many practical ways to experience the love of God. So they've drawn from Scripture and from human experience and here are a few things that they found. I'm just going to name a few. One, God will help us love Jesus and help us fulfill a yearning to become more like Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Word all help. Two, we have an active part in becoming more like Christ as we quest to build love for Jesus. God works in us, but the Bible tells us some things about what we should do as our part. For example, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Three, Paul and James were very concerned about how we could have a more intimate relationship with Jesus. So uh, you have some summaries in the handout that I've given you showing that every point that James made in the section that was read today is echoed in Paul, or James, James echoes Paul, but they, they both agree on the same themes. So if we look at uh, that list, which I could see once upon a time, but I can't see that uh, right now, uh, what we see in the main is that we are to seek intimacy with God, that we are to pursue humility. A couple of the verses talked about pursuing humility. Seek wisdom from God. Persevere 
in the hard times during trials and temptations and suffering. Seek to have God, a God-centered, virtuous life and pray. So how do we live more intimately with Christ and thus be formed into Jesus' likeness? Well, we can copy others who we admire that can do this. But we have to realize that people have free wills and they are fallen. And so we can go astray, even with the best of intentions. I'm always reminded when I think about fallibility, I am reminded of being a graduate student and taking a course in psychology in animal learning. And one of the jobs that I, I had to do was to train a pigeon to uh, peck at a key, okay, a little light on the wall. Sounds pretty easy. It's a bird brain. How hard can it be, you know? So you use the principle of shaping. So shaping is like the pigeon, you know, going around the the cage and you catch it looking at the well first you have to train it to eat this is not hard okay so you click the little feeder and a little pellet of food you know falls down and the pigeon you know orients toward the sound and runs over and eats it you know and then now okay the pigeon is kind of around and is alert because it realizes gets to eat, right? Okay. And so you see it look at the key. And when it looks at the key, you hit the reward button, right? And the, the pigeon then, you know, rushes over and eats. Well, because it was looking at the key, you know, very quickly, it's looking at the key again, you know, and you see it looking at the key and maybe taking a step forward. And you hit the reward button again, and it runs over and eats. Now, in theory, you get it closer and closer to the key until it finally pecks at the key, and then you reward it, and it goes and eats. That is not what happened with my pigeon. <laughs> my pigeon ended up being trained to do the eat turn, stumble, look at the key, fall toward it, and then rush to the, the thing and eat, you know? And <laughs> I couldn't untrain it, you know? No matter how simple these things are, we're fallible, you know? And we're a lot more complex. We have a lot more distractions than pigeons do. And <laughs> so... This is, this is not an easy thing. So I can copy people, but I have to realize that, you know, people are fallible. So <clears throat> Christian psychologists have a lot to say about how we can be more intimate with God by being formed into more, being more Christ-like. I'm just going to pick a couple of things that Christian psychologists say and, uh, and, and mention them. So first... You know, don't be overly self-reliant. Second, work hand-in-hand hand with the Lord. You know, not rushing ahead, not behind, but paying attention to what 
God is telling us and work with God. Set up our life to help us where possible. This is probably the major thing that, that uh, or one of the major things that uh, psychologists tell us is that we respond to what's in front of us, to our environment. So if we set up our environment, if we come to church on Sunday, if we have a time to pray, if we have a time to read the, the scriptures, we respond to those cues, set up our environment to help. And then intimacy with God is a journey. It is something that takes place over time. So I, I love the Lord, and <clears throat> that love and my feeling of being surrounded by the love of the Lord have carried me through my entire life. But there have been a lot of changes in beliefs and values and situations and spiritual practices that have happened throughout my life because of the different changing situations in my life. The way I was at 23 is not the way I am at 76. So <clears throat> I, I always felt like I really knew God. But I, I didn't understand who this Jesus guy was, you know. So, so God knew that I needed a Christian mate. But there's this verse, do not be unequally yoked. You remember that verse? Fortunately, the Lord had blinded Kirby to that <laughs> verse. It's just like, where'd that verse come from, you know? And, you know, Kirby has been probably my major spiritual mentor uh, throughout life. So, in January of 1996, God's love carried me through an emotional pit of despair when my mom was murdered. And later that year, God showed me miracles, amazing miracles, as I went to South Africa and saw God working in South Africa in that time post-apartheid uh, where Nelson Mandela had been elected in 94. In 2005, 10 years after my mother, uh, almost 10 years after my mother had uh, been murdered, uh, my brother ended up committing suicide. And that plunged me into a spiritual pit of despair. I didn't realize it, but I had grown cold toward God and just kind of did other things. So I had my morning time of, uh, you know, time with the Lord, except it became a time with my psychology books. And about three years afterwards, God intervened, finally, thank the Lord, when I was at a conference on New Year's, uh, just after New Year's, out in Biola University. And uh, there was a, a speaker that, I was, uh, that, that was the main speaker. She was a psychoanalyst. Her name is Maureen Miner from Australia. And so I listened to her talk. And we went back to the Holiday Inn, 
and we arrived at the same time as it turned out, and nobody else, you know, arrived from that group uh, at the Holiday Inn. And so we, we get into the elevator together, and Maureen says, so Ev, I understand that your brother committed suicide about uh, three years ago, and uh, how are you doing with that? And I said, fine. So this is a hint, okay? If you ever find yourself in a locked box with a psychoanalyst, and she asks you an emotionally loaded question, <laughs> fine is not your best answer. Okay, I'm just saying, you know, because it, what that provoked in her was to go, really? <laughs> and she just stood there. And that elevator was moving slow. I was on the sixth floor, you know, and so to fill the silence, I started talking, you know, and as I talked, and she listened in an empathic, psychoanalytically approved way, uh, I found that I was almost outside of myself going, that guy is bitter and cold toward the Lord. And I was like, wow. And I needed to go to my room right then and try to start repairing that relationship. So, <clears throat> later, of course, about 2008 or so, uh, Kirby's health plummeted, and you know that's been a roller coaster ever since uh, then. The, this, the point of all this is, you know, our spiritual journey is a journey. It is walking over those mountains. It is not reaching your ETA when you thought you were going to reach your ETA. It's blisters on the foot. It is a rough hike through the brambles and bushes sometimes. And sometimes it is a glorious view. But we're walking with the Lord. And we're walking with other people. And those make us change the encouragement that we can give each other. And not have to say, I can do it. What do we say? We can do it. We can do this. And because I have a lot of support, really. Okay, let's look really briefly at what the philosophers and the theologians can tell us about this. Ha, ah, that's funny. That would be this, the seminary course. I'm only going to look at one, and that is, um, uh, I'm going to look at Soren Kierkegaard, who was a, a philosopher, who is a Christian philosopher, a Danish uh, existential philosopher in the 1800s. So Kierkegaard actually had four major things that he gave, uh, guidances that he gave about um, bettering your relationship with the Lord. The first thing is he, he advised people how to read scripture. He says, realize that scripture is not a book 
that is just meant to be studied academically. It is a love letter from the Lord. And we should read it as a love letter going, this is something from my beloved and is asking me to do things today. What is this asking me to do today? The second thing is <coughs> uh, prayer. said, prayer is often, what can you do for me today? But Soren Kierkegaard says, our best prayers are heavily weighted toward realizing that this is our love letter to God, that we can express our love. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ask for things. It doesn't mean we don't do all kinds of other things. Prayer's multifaceted. But he said, weight it toward uh, <coughs> being a love letter uh, to God. Worship, he said, worship together. And he noted that <coughs> people often treat public worship as something to be evaluated. You know, that, you know, was this good? Did they fill me? Did they teach me? Did they, you know, he, he says, the best public worship is to realize that we are performing for God. We are performing a worship for God and that it is the music team and is the liturgist and, you know, that we're all doing this together and this is all part of just helping us uh, <coughs> uh, worship together. And then the fourth thing that Soren Kierkegaard says is communion. And he had a, a very high view of communion. Uh, so he believed that God is always present in communion. He said, we might have a sermon that, you know, we didn't get much out of. We might have a, uh, you know, we might not be thrilled with the music. Uh, but when we have communion, God is there. And God is there bodily. And so, you know, what we need to do is we need to pause and we need to think about the meaning of God being with us as we come to the communion table. God being with us as we take the communion. God being with us as we go back to our seat and reflect on, you know, our life and how God is with us. And, and this is the hard part, God is with us throughout the week after the communion. With us bodily, not just spiritually. So I, I really have only touched on uh, Christian formation. You know, if you want more, then, you know, you can sign up for my seminary course. Uh, <clears throat> I don't have a seminary course. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> I've. <laughs> we can do it. I'll be calling on you all for lectures. <laughs> all right. So, uh, <clears throat> so I, I hope that you got some practical ideas uh, to help you get and stay closer to God. Let me just summarize what I think are some takeaways. First, we're in a two-way relationship with God, and God is working harder than we are on this love relationship. God 
shows us that we are loved, provides models for us to emulate, arranges situations so that we can see his love. Second, biblical theology told us how vital Christian formation is, but it emphasizes in, uh, um, intimacy with God to love and enjoy him forever, that that is our goal. Third, Christian psychology told us that an intimate relationship with God is like any intimate relationship. It requires a heart connection, trust, and work. Like any relationship, it fluctuates. It takes unexpected turns. It misses intended paths. It trudges up mountains, plods down into the valley and into the pits at times, and drags us through brambles and underbrush. But because we are in a love relationship with the Lord, we try to do our part and build a Christian character and choose relationships and situations that move us toward more intimacy with God. And fourth, Soren Kierkegaard told us four things that will provide more intimacy with God. First, read scripture as God's love letter to us. Second, uh, pray as our love letter to God. And third, worship and bless God as him being the audience, and finally, that Jesus is embodied in communion. So in our Christian journey, <clears throat> like my journey in the Smokies, there are many adventures and mountains and valleys and pits and blisters, turned ankles, aching knees. Our journey is not like an ever uh, hiking up an ever-ascending mountain like Mount Leconte. It's not an every day in every way I'm getting closer and closer to God, and if I'm not, then I must be doing something wrong. Rather, our spiritual journey is rigorous hiking with ups and downs and turns that sometimes take us away from and sometimes closer to our destination. There's a promise of a comforting cabin somewhere in the distance, and yet becoming more Christ-like isn't so much about reaching some destination of eternal peace as it is about the relationships we have while getting there. It's a journey with loved ones and friends, the most important of whom is Jesus himself. Just a closer walk with thee, granted Jesus is my plea. I hope that's our heart's plea. And that we can help each other along the way by encouraging each other. We can do this. On this journey together, let's walk out the gospel that we believe. Amen. Yeah.